Hello, everybody. I'm Nina T, and this is Kid Like Faith. On this season of Kid Like Faith, we're exploring all the wonderful movies in the land of Pixar. So get ready, because today we're going to take a deep dive into the world in the great beyond. We're going to join our friends, Joe Gardner and 22, to see what happens when you figure out what's going on in your soul. So kick back and relax and help me find the faith gems in Disney Pixar's soul. So you know how we start this. We start from the beginning, like we do every uh, story. Um, so our story starts with a band teacher by the name of Joe Gardner. Uh, Joe is a man who is just really trying to inspire his teenage uh, band chorus. And he's trying to direct them the best that he can. The bad part is they are both uninspired and unprepared. We notice this because when they start playing, they're out of whack and out of tune and they're completely off. Um, they also, um, some of them are not, they're distracted, they're not paying attention. Some of them have picked up um, other things. Uh, they picked up their phones, they're in their phones and, and they're distracted by that. And then one of his students, didn't even bring her instrument to class. And so he's trying to navigate through that. And as a teacher, um, it can tend to be very disheartening when the students that you are trying to engage with and inspire show up without the necessary materials to engage. Um, they show up and they're present, but their mind is somewhere else. Or they show up and they're present and they're not willing to um, engage and even just show up and be present with their instrument, right? With their tool, with the thing that they um, are supposed to be making music with. Um, however, there was one student in this class and her name was Connie and she gets up and she starts to play. And as she starts to play, when she stands up, she gets into a zone and everyone can see that she is really taking this seriously. Um, because she is taking this seriously, they tend to tease her or they mock her by saying, great job. And you know, that normally happens when kids or immature people um, are unaware of how to celebrate what they cannot accomplish. And so maybe you're not the best at doing makeup, but you need to celebrate the one that is the best at doing it. Maybe you're not the best musician, but you need to celebrate those who are excellent at it. Maybe you're not the best speaker, but you shouldn't be mocking those who are just because you can't. Um, but when you're immature, you like to downplay the successes of others. So it because once you do that, if you let them be great, if you let them be excellent, then it would have uh, a chance or an opportunity uh, to stop you or technically downplay or make it look like you are really incapable of doing what they can do. And that's fine. Um, but when you want to be 
uh, known as the coolest or you want to be known as the greatest, if someone does better than you, we're told that life, unfortunately, is a competition. And so you're willing to knock out the competition instead of just and, and not, not knock them out by being better or trying to do um, as or be as excellent as they are, but you're trying to knock them out by trying to mock them, by by uh, making fun of the fact that they found something to master. But the teacher's job is to celebrate when he sees students doing well. And so Joe Gardner uh, goes over to the piano and he begins to explain that he knows what it's like to be Connie. He knows what it's like to find the spark. And his spark happened when he was younger um, and his dad took him to a jazz club and he, that was the last place he wanted to be. But he heard this man play. And when he heard this man play, he started to go into this place where the notes became so harmonious and it was his uh, language. And, and then Joe was inspired and he said, I wanted to learn how to talk like that. So while other people may be uninspired um, by music or by um that kind of music. Joe, even though he did not want to be there at first, was very inspired. And when Joe begins to play on the piano in his classroom, um, the kids open up, they widen up, they waken up, and they start to uh, engage again with the music, even if they are no good at playing it. Um, so the, the, the encouragement here is to those who are doing well, to keep doing well, because is as you do well, you inspire others to do well, even if they are uninterested at first. If you continue to become and to be, continue to be excellent, and you continue to be uh, all that you're supposed to do, there is one day where those people who once mocked you will see that there was something that you were working on, and that you had uh, a spark, and that you were moving towards something greater. So. We see that, of course, jazz is a huge deal in uh, Joe Gardner's life. But the next scene that we see is he is not only um, pulled aside out of his classroom, but he's pulled into the office or into the hallway by an administrator. Um, and the administrator, the, the principal, tells him that they are willing to bring him on as a permanent teacher, band teacher. Um, and while that's a great position, it, it comes with permanent status, it comes with benefits, it comes with no longer um, having to wonder uh, what your paycheck is going to look like, right? Because you're now on a permanent fixture and not just on a needs basis kind of employee. Uh, although that's good and that's great for the dreamer and the jazz musician that is inside of Joe. It's not necessarily all that he wants to be. And so when he goes to his mother's shop, which is the scene after that, we see his mom begin to rant and rave because she's super excited that he finally gets to do music full time. And he finally gets to do music in a way that it's no longer going to be him gigging. It's no longer going to be him, you know, traveling or going to uh, whatever jazz club that night and waking, working late hours and all of that. But it's a steady nine to five job. And we see that because Joe is a dreamer and he dreams of 
big, huge stages of jazz, being able to play on those stages, the the job is a nod to his great work, but it's also still settling in his mind, right? Um, and he seems uneasy, but because of his persistence or because of the persistence of his mom, he decides, okay, well, fine, I'll just take it. But isn't it funny that when you decide that you're going to settle, right at the moment that you decide you're going to settle, nine times out of ten, the great opportunity is right next door. It's it's the next knock. It is the next call. It is the next um, breakthrough, right? It, it, it is coming to you, but you were just willing to settle. So it comes normally right at the moment when you're about to give up, right in the moment when you're about to say, well, this isn't working. Let me try something else. And so a call comes through to Joe and Joe's call comes from Curly, his former student. And his former student tells him that he has a job now as a drummer in the Dorothea Williams Quartet. Now, Dorothea Williams in this story is a huge jazz legend. And she is, you know, a big deal. It's kind of the stage that Joe is hope hoping to work on. And so he's excited because his student um, is able to be a part of this. But he says something and makes a verbal contract that I don't know that he he knew he was making. Uh, so he says, well, I would die a happy man if I just were able to perform with her. I, I, this is like a dream come true. I would love to do that. And then I could, I would be able to die a happy man. See, we say stuff like that and we say it as uh, kind of like, I don't know, you say it kind of like a a, a euphemism or something that we say all the time. It's 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 just something that we say and it's common. Um, but unfortunately, it's still words. And life and death happens to be in the power of your tongue. And so if you don't watch your words, you end up being or creating something that you necessarily did not want to create with those words. We have to also remember that we are not only... Um, king's kids but we are god's kids we have his dna we were created in his likeness and in his image and he created everything that we see and don't see within seven days or in six days because seventh day he rested but in six days he created all of this stuff with just the power of his words the only thing that he put his hands on and the only thing that he used his hands to make was man everything else was done with his words and so we have that same opportunity or that same uh, DNA-like ability to create worlds and create circumstances with our words. Um, and we don't necessarily always know the power of our words. And so we waste them. So we say stuff like, you know, I could just, you know, I, I'll just die happy man because it's because it is a big opportunity and you're excited. You would be excited to get it right. Um, Instead of really just saying, wow, that's a big deal. I'm very glad for you, right? Or wow, it's a big deal. I wish I was doing that, which, or wow, that's a big deal. I can't wait to get on a stage like that. See, those kinds of words direct the direction or cause the direction of your life to lean into what you have spoken. Um, but either way, whatever you speak, you tend to find yourself going in that direction. 
Yeah. So, what ends up happening is Carly tells him, well, this may be your lucky day. And the next thing we see is Joe Gardner running through this town. He's running through to get to this club. And he gets to the club and he sees Carly. And Carly tells him that Leon, who is their normal musician or normal uh, uh, pianist or keyboardist, pianist, I guess, because he played piano. But anyway, um, who is the normal person who is their musician? He skips town. And so they need a replacement. And Joe has been recommended by someone who is a friend of Curly. And he played with him at another time, at another gig. And he said he was amazing. So here's the funny part. Nine times out of 10, when you show up in certain areas, you have no idea who's watching you, who's uh, taking notes about you, who is looking at you and waiting to see what they can recommend you for. Think about in the Bible, when we talk about Joseph, Joseph was the kind of man, right, that he went through a whole lot. He he was a dreamer, you know, he, God had given him dreams and he um, you know, was telling the, the meaning of these dreams way before it was time, right? And because he was telling his dreams, he got into some horrible predicaments and situations and he ends up in prison, right? And as he's in prison, uh, there are two people in prison with him and he... Uh, begins to interpret dreams for them. He tells them the next stage of their life, right? And it happens as he says. Um, and he, the one thing he tells them is to remember him when they get where they're going. So remember them, remember me when you get near the king because that's your fate. And they forget. <laughs> they literally forget. They, they go about their life and they do whatever they're doing. It wasn't until years later that the recommendation when the king has a dream and nobody can interpret it, the recommendation is, oh wait, there's somebody in prison that interpreted my dream before. And so Joseph could have been like, you had a dream in my business. I'm in, you know, I'm in jail. I'm, I'm not getting myself in no more trouble. I'm going to be quiet. And that's what it is. But because he was willing to be what he needed to be even in a dark place he was able to um see himself or, or get the recommendation he needed at the time that he needed it if he had chosen to be anything else in the prison he would have never made it to the palace and so sometimes it's those recommendations that we never hear that get us into the biggest opportunities of our lives so Joe gets to the stage and every, you know, Curly's impressed because he knows he's his teacher. Um, but Miss Williams is not impressed, partially because she is introduced to him uh, as Joe Gardner, the middle school band teacher. And she's basically like, OK, this is this guy isn't even a professional like couldn't even find a professional I had to I had to go to the middle school to find somebody and you know while you may have great things and you may have a, a position that doesn't match necessarily the greatness that's in you be okay with the fact that not everybody's going to get it at first not everybody is going to be okay or not everybody is going to um uh, celebrate you or be impressed with you at first. They may assume and judge by the status that you're in that you're not uh, qualified for the place that you're in or that for the place you're auditioning to be in. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't show up. That doesn't mean you don't be. That actually means you need to be the very best that you can be. And Joe gets on the piano and although at first he asks what they're playing, he automatically begins to um, play 
keys and, and find his way. And then all of a sudden, when he finds his way into the zone, he forgets that everybody else is there. He gives himself over to the music and he allows the music to take him into the zone. And the zone allows him to exhibit exhibit all of the greatness that is in him. It allows him to be able to show that he is more than just a middle school band teacher, that he is actually a great musician. He just hasn't had his big break. And so after he finishes, Dorothy Williams says, uh, Joe Gardner, where have you been? And he's like, uh, middle school playing band, <laughs> playing and, and teaching the band and, you know, all of that. And she tells him, tonight, be here at 7. Make sure you have a suit, a good suit. Uh, this is your opportunity. Show up and don't be late. And in one moment, remember those words he spoke about playing with her? It began to be manifest. But the other thing is, he didn't stop with just wanting to play with her. He said, I would die a happy man if I played with her. So the other end of that contract, even though the first part was manifest, or the last part was manifested first, the other part of the contract still is uh, open to be uh, manifested. So what happens is he's excited and he's running and he's telling you know the person on the phone that he's got the job and he's got the gig. Don't tell his mom. He's excited, super excited. And he's running and not paying attention to where he's going. But the word is catching up with him because the, the bricks almost fall and, and send him out. And, you know, all, he's running past cars and all of these different things that would kill him. And here's the funny thing, because there's still purpose on the inside of Joe. He couldn't die but he could go into a coma. So what ends up happening is because he wasn't watching where he was running, he falls into a manhole and it doesn't kill him, but it sends him into a coma. It sends his body into a coma, but it sends his soul into a place headed toward what is called the great beyond. We see literally this soul gel-like creature, which is Joe, because we see him with a hat on. And he's on this conveyor belt headed toward this big, huge light. And while he's on his way, it looks like, you know, he's going to be able to do all the things and, and he or he was just about to do all the things. But unfortunately, he can't. He can't. He's not able. Right. He's not able to do all the things because he's now not where he was. He, he's trying to figure out what happened, trying to figure out how to get back to where he was. And all of a sudden he starts to run in the opposite direction of where the conveyor belt is going and he runs into some people and one of them is an older lady and she's 106 and we know this because um, he's saying, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. How do I get out of here? And she's like, oh, death must have been sudden for you. So I'm 106 and I've been waiting for this. I'm 106 and I've lived my life and I'm, I've been waiting for, to get here, to get to the great beyond. And he's like, the great beyond, like as in beyond life and that. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's exactly where this conveyor belt is headed. See, the, the thing is, although we sometimes do not live life to the fullest, there are people who have experienced this life and they didn't wait and they lived their life to the fullest. They didn't wait till somebody told them they could live it. They didn't wait until they got the big break. They just lived the best life that they could live. And 106 years later, when it comes time for them to die, they're not ashamed. Or even 50 years later, if they lived the life that they wanted to live, they're not, they're not uh, upset about moving on. They just move on because it's time to move on. When you've accomplished your purpose, 
you feel much better leaving everything else behind. But when you have not lived, then you know, then you have feelings. Oh, I'm not done. Oh, I need to get back. Oh, oh my, I wish I could, I wish I could redo. I wish I could run back. And so Joe is running through this crowd of people who is who are headed into the light and they're ready to go. But he's the only one that is running in an opposite direction. And he's saying to them, What's wrong with you people? And they're like, I don't know. Uh, uh, nothing wrong with me. Like, I'm, I'm going in the direction I'm supposed to go. And so while he's running, he, he ends up falling off the conveyor belt into the wall, into the, past the wall, out of all of these different, you know, images. And he falls into this place called the Great Before. Now, uh, what we don't know about the Great Before is this is a place where people or souls start. This is where the souls begin. And so before the souls come to a body, they're in the great before. And they have to they have to have a full personality. Um, and once they have a full personality, they are released to go to earth to live. Well, Joe ends up here and he, you know, meets the counselor, Jerry, one of them anyway. And, you know, the, the counselor explains how the great before works. And when she tells him about the place you know, where you can jump to go to Earth, he thinks that it's okay to, for him to just, you know, sneak off and just jump because obviously he can just do whatever he wants, right? Because he just really needs to get to Earth and it's right there. Earth is right there. He can just take the leap. Well, you can't skip parts of the process because she said you have to have a full personality in order to grow and his soul didn't have a badge or authorization. And so we have to know that our souls, our life, our purpose was completed or was assigned or not purpose. Well, our our agenda, the agenda of God, right, was solidified before we got into the earth. Before we were released to come to the earth, all the things that we needed in order to live were placed on the inside of us. And so we didn't have to get to earth to figure it out. When we got to earth, the stuff started to show up and come out of us and purpose was realized, right? And purpose is being realized even the more, right? But um, before we come here, before we are here, uh, if we are knit and formed in, in our mother's womb, as God told Jeremiah, then everything that we need in order to become, everything that we need to complete our purpose, everything that we need to live the life that we were meant and intended to live is given to us before we get here. It's, it's included in our soul. It's included in our DNA. It's included in the picking of our parents, right? It is included in all of that. And so he tries to jump without authorization of all of those things being instilled in him. Um, because, of course, one, he's not supposed to be there. And two, he just thinks he can do whatever he wants. And every time he tries to jump, it sends him right back to the great before because he's not been processed. And we want sometimes to go into an, another level, go back to the life, the way we lived it, go back to the way we think our life should go. And unfortunately, we can't because we're not processed yet. And you can't skip steps. You can't skip steps in purpose. You can't skip steps and just think that it's okay to just go to the next space. No, 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 no. You're supposed to live and you're supposed to get all of the things that you get and you know, realize them as you go along, right? So he didn't have clearance for Earth. 
and he tried to jump on somebody who did have clearance to earth but it doesn't work that way life doesn't work that way purpose doesn't work that way sparks don't work that way you can't just attach to someone else's and have clearance to live no you have to become and you have to have god had to have an intentional word concerning you before you were released to the earth meaning there was a specific plan there was a specific assignment there was something that you are the answer to and when you were created all of the things that you needed to make that answer come alive gave you clearance to enter the earth and before that before you had all of the things or before the world needed you you didn't show up you didn't have clearance so when the world needed you you showed up when the world was ready for you you were birthed and because you are still alive there are there is so much more for you to accomplish right there's so much more purpose for you to realize um and it happens as you go but we'll talk about that a little bit later so um he is trying desperately to get back to um earth and as he's doing that terry the accountant has found out that there's a soul missing he doesn't know the name he doesn't know what the soul looks like but he only knows is all he knows is that there's a soul missing and so because he knows there's a soul missing he's willing to go and find it and he's like okay i've got to go figure out what's wrong and who was the person that wasn't accounted for and so while we think sometimes we can uh or we were unintentional while we were mistakes we are very much accounted for and the bible says that it's it is um technically for man to to die once we are so once once our expiration date is up then it is time for us to go into the next phase and so we are accounted for our life days are numbered and we um, are a very intentional speck on the vast, <laughs> vast uh, signal of humanity or vast spans of humanity. So we have to be, right, until there's no more time to be, right? Because once the time is up, the time is up and you have to go into the next phase because you are intentionally accounted for. So Joe pretends to be a mentor because he believes that being a mentor will uh, help him to get back to earth, of course. Um, he, in, in this great before, mentors are matched to new souls. And these new souls um, are, you know, technically trying to find their spark based on the life of or the help of their mentor. And so um, while they're doing this introduction video, uh, as, you know, to have this all works, Joe has already gone into his mind and he has already imagined helping a young mentee to become and then stealing their clearance to get to the next place, to get back to himself, to get back to his body and back to doing the things that he desires to do. Um, and to get really, because what he desires to do is become famous. So he believes that taking this mentee's uh, spark or purpose or uh, indignation of life is aid is willing it makes him willing or able to go into another space and become famous for it unfortunately there are mentors unfortunately that believe that them helping other people will help them to get to fame will help them to get to uh, what they really want to do and what they really want to be and they can steal the remnants 
of what belongs to the mentee so that they can create their own life. And it, it's not supposed to work that way. It's not supposed to work that way. If you're a mentor, you're called to cultivate and help cultivate someone to become ready to live their life the way that they were intended to live. You're not called uh, to make them like you. And you're also not called to steal what little uh, inspiration they have in order to make you feel better, in order to uh, get whatever you need and, and sign them up for your purpose. That's not that's not what mentoring is. It is really inspiring someone to fall into and be, well, not fall into because fall makes it accidental. Walk into the place that they are called to walk into. So he's willing to do whatever he wants to do in order to get back to the life that he thinks he deserves. And here's the funny part. Joe wasn't this kind of man on earth. So why is it that he's being this man in the afterlife or the before life or whatever he is in the span of uh, eternity? Because he's not here. He's not on earth, right? So why would he submit his life or his afterlife <laughs> to becoming something in order to get what he wants instead of just being okay with helping someone else do what he didn't have time to do? But he is willing to break every rule just to get what he wants. And so he pretends to be a doctor and he is matched with what they call soulmates. Now, soulmates, as we know them, are the people that we spend our lives with and they are our romantic partner and you hope to find them. You, you know, when you find them, life is complete. You know, your whole life is just made because of this one person. Well... In this movie, they kind of changed and flipped the script about what um, a soulmate is. Because in this movie, a soulmate is not the person that you share your bed with. A, a soulmate is the person that inspires you to live. A soulmate is the person that helps you find the parts of you that you need to become in order for you to live. So if you have signed up yourself for a life partner and that life partner is not helping you to become then they are not a soulmate they're just a life partner they're not helping you to become the intentional plan of god for your life or the lift the testimony of what heaven has announced over you they're just helping you do you and that's called a buddy that's a friend that's a life road trip partner i guess that has nothing to do with in equipping or building your soul. And so, <laughs> because this soulmate um, is an assignment, it is not a romantic getaway. It is an assignment to help build. Yeah. And, and, and when we look at soulmates in that direction, then we won't settle. Yeah. Then we won't uh, think that it has to be our life partner. Uh, we can find soulmates and friends. We can find soulmates in mentors. We find soulmates in church. We find soulmates, uh, you know, at work. We find soulmates wherever there are people that help you build and where you help people build that part. So, Joe is matched with 22. She is only known by the number <laughs> that she has. Um, 22 has been mentored by not only 
um, so a lot of people, but she's been mentored by great people. She's been mentored by Abraham Lincoln and Lincoln and um, Marie Antoinette and and uh, Muhammad Ali and so many other great thinkers. Mother Teresa, all of these great human beings um, have given a shot at mentoring her, but none of them have been able to help her successfully identify her spark. And so. What that tells me is it doesn't matter how great or accomplished the mentor is. If the mentee has not resolved that they will be engaged in the process of making themselves better, then they will never, ever become what they're supposed to become. They will only waste the time of the mentor. And so in every mentor-mentee relationship, the mentee has to resolve that I am not only I'm going to show up, but I have to engage with all of the things that they're giving me in order to become who I need to become. But if they never do that, then they never receive what the mentor has to offer. And so uh, while they are looking at, uh, <laughs> in this case, they go to what is called the Hall of You. And the Hall of You shows the life of the person that is the mentor. And what it's supposed to do is help spark a, a kind of intentionality to live in the person or in the mentee, right? So what ends up happening is the life of the person that Joe is pretending to be shows up. The doctor, it shows all of his great things, right? All of the great parts of his life. And so what ends up happening is that while they're looking at this person's life, 22 says, you know, we should just wait a while and then go back and say it didn't work because I've already tried this thousands of times and it didn't work. And she's basically saying, I'm going about my business. You go back to the great beyond. I have a routine that I've already come accustomed to and I like it this way. I would rather do it that way than try to uh, continue to be um, let down by this whole mentor mentee process. And He's like, well, you don't want to try. She's like, no, I have a routine. Like they, they make me come to these things uh, every once a, once a week. And, you know, other than that, I'm in my dimension doing my thing. I, you know, I do whatever I want to do. When you have had letdown after letdown and you have engaged with so many different failures, it's hard to try again. And you tend to settle for what is safe because you don't want to be heard again ironically she is now partnered with a man who has been rejected over and over again when it comes to the gigs and when it comes to being a musician because the only thing that has accepted him and and offered him a position is the position of a you know a um, middle school band teacher and Dorothea Williams which he wasn't even able to fulfill because at this point he's still in a coma so after a while, she's like, I've got a routine and I'd rather do that. I'd rather play it safe so that I don't have to endure heartbreak. I'd rather do it this way so that I don't have to engage with what um, will hurt me because it hurts me to do it this way. So Joe tells her, one, I'm not a mentor. And she's like, I tried to have a reverse psychology. I know what that's like. And he's like, no, 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 like, let me show you another life. Like, can we show another life? And she pulls up the little thing that allows him to put his hand on it. And from his handprint, all of the things that are curated show his life. 
in front of him. And so they're walking through and they see the rat fruit that he was in and they see the, you know, the, the breast spray that he refused to have. And they see him at dinner and they see all of these different parts of life. They even see the thing that inspired him. And all of these things uh, are coming together. But at the end of what he sees, Joe says, my life was meaningless. He looked at all of the events that were put before him and because they looked mediocre and mundane, he concluded that his life was meaningless because it wasn't what he wanted. He concluded that he had no impact on the earth at all. And so we have a tendency that when we miss certain opportunities or when opportunities aren't presented to us or when we don't get what we want, we assume that our life isn't making impact. Um, and unfortunately, not all of us get to be the things that we uh, said we were going to be when we were 12 and 10 and 7, right? I was going to be a whole lawyer. Didn't end up doing that. I'm on a podcast and I like it here. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that also um, a little later. But you have to be okay with the fact that maybe that plan wasn't your plan. And maybe it wasn't the way that you make the most impact. And just because you haven't done what you thought you were supposed to do, it doesn't mean that you're not making impact. It just means that you just didn't live to your fullest potential. So, or he didn't live to his fullest potential. So he's upset and he will not let his life end this way. So he's like, give me your badge. I'm going back to earth now to fix this, right? And she tries to pull off what is an incomplete, unauthorized pounds. It keeps going back to her chest. It keeps, no matter how many times she tries to destroy it, no matter how many times she tries to get rid of it, she cannot release it until it is made, um, and until she's given clearance to go to the next place. And so what we find is that while we want to try to uh, ignore the fact that we have the obligation to become it's not going anywhere. That little spark, that little voice, that little prodding, that saying, you should probably go into this. You should probably check this out. You should probably engage with this. It's not going anywhere because we have yet to engage with it in order to figure out all that we were supposed to be. In order to figure out all of the things that we need, right, to be ready to live. And she, again, when you don't have clearance, you can't skip steps. So you cannot uh, skip the step of becoming the personality that is needed for the purpose. So Joe has a great idea and he says, well, if I help you find the last spark and fill it, will you give me the pass? And in 22's mind, she's never thought of this before, but she's like, oh, snap. If I do that, then I'll get to skip life and you'll get to live. So this is a win-win for the both of us. And he's like, oh, okay. She's like, okay. You know, let's do it. Let's, let's go. And he's like, I'm not giving up. You know, let's go over to you know, what inspired me. And he takes her to the piano to see the jazz that's being played. Uh, and although it is beautiful music, it's not what inspires her. And so while you think sometimes as a mentor that showing people the way you, you know, grew up or what inspired you, what motivated you, you're trying to give them what you had um, in order to make what they need, it doesn't interest them because that's not what they're called to. 
um, it's it's limiting them to your experience and that's not enough for where they have to go. It's not even engaging to them. Sometimes um, you can try to direct somebody in the path that is easiest for you to instruct, but it is not the plan of God for their life. And so you being a mentor is not for you to make them like you again. It's for you to help them figure out the spark and the little thing that makes them want to come alive. So he says, okay, well, the jazz isn't in. We're going to go to the hall of everything. And they go to the hall of everything where there is every exercise and ability that you can think of. And by accident, uh, <laughs> Joe kicks a ball. A kid hits it on his head and his pulse lights up. And so by accident, he's inspiring inspiring other people to live, right? He's inspiring other new souls to find will to live, right? Um, but the problem is he isn't assigned to them. He's assigned to 22. And 22 has tried everything in that room. She tries everything with the wrong perception. She sees uh, fight, you know, firefighting as the wrong position. She actually wants the fire to continue. Uh, she's not looking at things correctly, right? Uh, she's she's trying. She can't eat food. She can't she can't feel. And this is what we learn about the Hall of Everything. Even though it is at activities, it is activities disconnected from life. And so she only gets to experience them disconnected, which doesn't help her because she needs to make a connection. She needs to feel something in order to connect to these activities and give her the desire to want to live. But she can't connect because these things are just simulations. These things are just hypotheticals. Nothing in here is concrete. And so because she can't connect to anything and she, you know, the things that she's doing, we would love to do. So she's you know, becoming a, a, a president and she, you know, sitting in the president's seat at the old office doesn't excite her because it's disconnected from reality. We have to sometimes realize that even though you're giving people a tools and resources, if it's disconnected from their reality and their experience, then they're not going to be willing to be uh, feel something and feel inspired. We have to be relatable. We have to get to the thing that relates to them in order for them to find the spark. So Joe is like, okay, well, I don't I don't know what to do and time is running out. And she's like, well, time isn't necessarily a thing here. And when she says that, uh, she is proven wrong because the counselor, Jerry, uh, one of them anyway, uh, comes and says, well, time is up. And they said, you know, thanks for trying, Joe. 22, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, we've tried this before and it hasn't hurt. You know, it hasn't worked. And so 22 is like, oh, wait, but I want more time because, you know, I haven't tried breakdancing. I think that's it. And she's saying this because she wants more time to be able to engage and uh, see if she can get to uh, fill this pass up to see if she can get to life, see if she can get uh, to skipping life, right? So that Joe can take her place. So the counselor, because he's intrigued about how tw excited 22 is, he gives her time and allows them to extend the time to go and figure things out. As they do that, they both go run and hide and they run and hide in a place called the zone. Now, Unbeknownst to Joe, he has been to the zone before, but his body was there and he hasn't experienced the soul part, right? 
So what the zone is, is it is a middle place. It is a in-between, between the spiritual and the natural. So it is the mid space between the two. When, when Joe would play, he was reminded that his hands would take over and he would go into this zone-like effect. Everything around him would turn pink and purple. And literally, while his body was in the zone, so was his soul. His soul was engaging in that place. And he thought it was only for musicians that were in a flow, but it was for basketball players. It was for tattoo artists and it was for, for thespians. It was for everyone who was in a flow. The problem I have is that this place is in between the natural and the spiritual. What do I mean? I mean that it is very, uh, I would like to call this place a good gift. Yeah, this is the place where you're not being carnal, but you're also not living spiritually. You're not extending or you're not tapping into the flow of the oil and the anointing on your life, the thing that you were purposed to do by God, but you are tapping into a really good gift, which is right in between the two because the gift comes from God. So it has some supernatural power to it. It has some supernatural gifting in it. It has some supernatural, uh, I guess, uh, indignation in it or and, and, and a little bit of stupor on it. But it's still not fully spiritual. You still can have gift without repentance. So you're disconnected from the life source, which is necessary in order to be fully living in the spirit, right? Which we are called to be, right? But in this movie, they find themselves in the zone. And if you're in the zone for too long and you become obsessed, you start to see uh, become what they see as a shadowy creature. And this shadowy creature um, is, you know, saying, make a trade, make a trade, make a trade, make a trade, right? And it's very creepy and weird. Um, and and they're, this shadowy creature is chasing them until it gets lassoed. And it gets lassoed by someone in a, a boat. <laughs> and this boat in the zone um, is run by this man called Moonwind. And he has a team of, of mystics and these mystics help lost souls to find their bodies again. So he lassos this man and the, you know they start playing this folk music, right? And as they're playing this folk music, you start to see the shell that was around him, which we know from what Moonwin said is insecurity. Um, once he gets caught up in the insecurity and they over obsess, they get caught into this whirlwind and they become the shadowy figure, disconnected from life and from their body. And so what ends up happening is they have to come back. They have to come back. They have to be brought back to mindfulness. They have to be brought back to their body. And so as they play the music, even though it's weird and folksy, the shadow disappears and the man or the soul is still there. And the soul is saying, make a tree. Whoa, how'd that get? And they have to take him to the place and they, they technically uh, uh, draw a line in the sand or a circle in the sand where he can see his own body, where he can see what his body is doing without the soul attached to it, right? Without the living soul that is supposed to be in it. Without it, he's just doing mundane work in, in the trading business, right? And so once his soul is reunited in the body, he's like, 
how am I spending my life? And he goes bonkers, knocks everything over, and it's like, I'm free, I'm alive, I'm back. And, and what we realize is that there are people that are actually doing life detached from life. Very weird. How exactly are you able to live life detached from life? Because you've got caught up in your obsessions and caught up in your insecurities and caught up in what you feel is necessary and, and caught up in doing the thing that you think that you should be doing and you become so good at doing that you forget to be. And so... Joe takes the stick and he's like, okay, well, all I got to do is make a circle and I can see my body. But when they make the circle, they see the great beyond. And so uh, Moonwin says, oh my God, Joe, are you dead? And he's like, no, 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 not yet. I'm not dead. Um, I'm just technically in limbo. Um, and he was like, can you get me back to my body? And so Moonwin says, well, we've never tethered a, or we never sent back an untethered uh, soul, which means we've never sent a soul who wasn't already connected to a body um, and who had been disconnected from its body. So what we've got to do is get you in the mind space where you're back in the feelings and the emotions of that body. And so what Moonwind does is he takes him to a thinner spot. And as he takes him to a thinner spot and he's looking, Joe is looking at all of these shadowy creatures. He's like, there's so many of them. And Moonwind is like, well, you know, being in the zone and being a lost soul is not that far apart. And Joe's like, really? And he's like, yeah, when you, he said, it's fine to have a, you know, a, something that brings you joy. But when that joy becomes obsession, then you get disconnected from life and make that makes you a lost soul. And so while, you know, he is looking for uh, a space, we are, we are told basically that you can do stuff without your soul being attached. Yeah, you can do stuff without being present and doing it intentionally. You can do it just to do it because you think you should be doing it because you were told to do it and because you've always done it this way. And doing it that way will never allow you to fully fulfill your life's purpose. So what ends up happening is they find this little uh, thin space and they draw the circle and there's nothing in the circle at first. And they tell Joe that he has to envision where his body is and really get in the mind of that body. So he closes his eyes, but they're playing music. And it's not his kind of music. It's not jazz. And so because it's not jazz, he's not engaged. And he's like, this, is this all that's necessary? And he's like, focus. Focus. Get into the mind. Now, in, in psychology, we learn about this practice called mindfulness. Mindfulness is a form of meditation. Um, it's a meditative practice, right? It is, it is a practice to help you get into the present being because we can go through life and never really fully be present. And so the way you do this, um, or the way they used to teach me to do it, right, is to sit in a chair, I, I, and we did it where we sat in chair with our hands on our uh, knees and our feet flat on the floor, and we close our eyes, and we would literally go through the parts of our body from the top of our head and to the bottom of our feet, and literally check in with those body parts. Figure out what's happening with those body parts. 
Is there pain anywhere? Are you? What are your toes doing? Why are your toes, Jake? You know, shaking or is it? Are, are your knees feeling pain? Or are you? Are, you know, what are you doing with your arms? Why are your fingers moving? Are you know what? Can you feel your fingers? Can you engage with those fingers? What does it feel like? And when you engage with your senses, then it becomes what does what do you smell? What do you see? What does it feel like? So when, you know, when I was in uh, my leadership program, they told us to do mindful practice, right, in that way. But then I started to look up other things that you could be mindful in, right? And they started doing, talking about doing mind dumps where you wrote everything that you're literally thinking so that you can be present in your own mind. Um, or mindful showers where you go into the shower and you feel all of the experiences that your senses feel. And you're in the moment. You're not thinking about what's happening in the day. You're not thinking about what's going to happen when you get out of the shower. You're literally in the shower experiencing the water, experiencing the steam, experiencing how that makes you feel. And while you're doing that, it makes it uh, easy for you to de-stress because you're not engaged with stress that is coming ahead of you. You're only in the moment. And so what the moon wind creature or you know mystic was trying to teach him was i want you to be present i don't want you to be disconnected because the only way we're going to get you to your body is if you can tell me what's going on in it the only way i can get you to the body now let's talk about this spiritually and this is deep to me this is this got this got me because when the lord started to talk to me about mindfulness in the body it it isn't just my body Right, what my senses are picking up spiritually, but it's what the body of Christ is feeling. Mindfulness in the body of Christ looks like me checking on the other body parts. It looks like me making sure that the ears, those people who hear from God, aren't overwhelmed by what they hear. It's me checking in on the mouthpieces of God to make sure that they are okay with having to be bold and speak and sometimes being rejected. It's me checking in with the hands and the heart of God, knowing that the heart is sometimes bruised because it's rejected, right? Knowing that they love hard and they don't always get the love in return. Knowing that the feet have always gone places and they travel to bring the gospel, but not all the time are they received when they bring the gospel. So it's checking in on the parts of the body and making sure the parts of the body receive the tending, tender loving care that they need. Yeah. And so while we can get focused in doing the work of the church, we can forget that there is a whole body that we need to be mindful of. Well, that was good to me. All right. So, <laughs> so as Joe starts to feel his body and feel what's going on. And he focuses what's going on in his body without the help of a piano. He sees himself in this bed, in a coma, and he's like, oh snap, that's me. Well, when can I jump in? And he's so ready to jump in and ready. And he's saying, this is my time. But it actually isn't because technically, he was so eager that he knocks 22 and himself in without really being cautious about the, if he was well enough or if he felt uh, the feelings enough to get into the right body. Well, because he didn't wait, 
when he ends up landing, he lands in the cat that is on the bed. He doesn't land in his body. 22 lands in his body. And so now he is trying to, he thinks he's back, but he's trying to figure out like what is happening. And when he looks around, he's like, oh my God, this is not my body. You're not my body. What is happening? And 22 is like, I never wanted to be in the body. What is happening? I hate this. is the worst day on earth. And and the doctor comes in because they know he's talking and he's back. And he sounds like a, a crazy man because he's talking about being a soul that doesn't want to be tethered to the body, right? And, and all of these things are happening. And they're saying, okay, well, I'm going to leave you alone with the therapy cat. And the therapy cat's owner is saying, I'm coming back to get you in 10 minutes. Well, they realize that in order to get out of this predicament, they've got to find Moonwind and they've got to get out of this hospital before Joe was taken away by the, the um, therapist cat lady. So they both are navigating these new bodies horribly, might I add. <laughs> but they're navigating this new space and they find themselves outside and 22 who has never experienced earth is now hearing the sounds of earth and she's now uh, able to engage with earth and while she wants to stay still and cower she has to move forward and the cat who forgets it has claws scratches her and for the first time she feels pain and takes off running and she takes off running and hides. And when he finds her, she's like, I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm going to stay here until you die. And 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 I, I know it's going to be soon because I feel the rumbling in your stomach. Well, because she's not experienced life before and Joe has, he knows what that rumbling is. He knows that she's just hungry. She's not done. And sometimes we can tend to mistake hunger <laughs> a hunger for a a or an a appetite for something, right? We can mistake that and think that uh, we're coming to the end because all we want, all we think about, and, and all the pains that we feel are from this appetite. And it's like, oh God, this is just purpose trying to kill. Now, this is the funny part. We think that a God who died and rose so that we can have life would give us purpose to kill us. Now, now, granted, in some ways, he wants us to die to ourselves, yes, but not die to living. He's he's trying to give you life, right? The only way to experience life is to die to your perception of what life should be. And so the hunger pains that you feel, the appetite pains that you feel, are be they're not uh, signals that you're going to die. They're signals that you need to live. They're signals that you need to experience. They're signals that you need to nourish yourself in order to engage with the next place. So, after um, Joe gives 22 pizza, <laughs> he tries to hail a cab and it's absolutely crazy. Um, but they have to find Moonwind, right? Um, they have to find Moonwind to fix out their bodies. They find him and they pull him out of the zone. And he tells them that they can't get what they need until 6.30. Now, the audition is at 7. So it's cutting it close. But he's like, I'm going to meet you here at the half. No, I'm going to meet you at the, the club at 6.30. And so... While we think that this is the, you know, this is going to help them, 
it, it's it's really not because once they hail the cab and they get to or they're trying to go home to get ready for this audition or to get themselves prepared they run into Dorothea Williams because she's getting out of the cab and as she's getting out of the cab she sees Joe looking crazy eating pizza in a hospital gown with his shoes on and nothing else and she's like what what and before he can even say something Joe the cat pushes 22 in Joe's body into the cab and they take off down the street so they get to the apartment and they're and the phone rings and it's Curly telling him that Dorothea freaked out when she saw him looking the way he looked and that he has lost the gig to another man that she called. But he also tells her, him, sorry, he also tells him that because he was inspired so much by his class that he's going to help him to get this gig again. So what he has to do is get dressed and be there by 7 o'clock. Make sure that he looks good like a million bucks. And once he gets there, they're going to talk Dorothea into letting him do the gig again. See, when you inspire people for a living, there are people that are always willing to help you when you need it. When you uh, dedicate your life to building up people, you will always have people to dedicate their lives to building you up as well. So... Joel tells 22 to clean up, and as he's telling her to clean up, Connie shows up at the door, and she's showing up for her lesson, or so they think, and he's like, she's like, you know, well, Joe can't do it today. I mean, me, I can't do it today. I can't do your lesson today. Um, and Connie says, I just want to tell you I quit. And that band and jazz and school are a waste of time, and because this rebellion identifies with 22 she's like i want to talk to her and so she locks the door and and the cat is stuck on the inside of the apartment she starts to talk to her about all of these ideologies and she agrees with her unknowingly doing reverse psychology right because she is technically in agreement but what connie is is realizing is like okay well i really wanted you to to talk me out of this I really wanted you, I really wanted you to tell me I'm good. And so what she says is, well, well, I got this one song. And if, if, if I play this one song for you, then you can tell me to quit. Okay. So she plays. And for the first time, Connie shows someone other than Joe that she has a spark. And so Joe or 22 in the form of Joe sees this spark and is like, oh wow you're really good and she's like yeah and she's like you really do love it and she's like yeah I guess I can't quit then and 22's like no you can't quit and so she's like alright bye and she goes about her business and so Connie is an example to those of us who have gotten discouraged because we don't fit in because we can't be what we think we need to be and because we don't get you know the encouragement that we need and sometimes we want the attention so we we decide that we're gonna throw up our hands or we're gonna quit but we don't really want to quit we just want some encouragement to keep going you in, instead of saying i'm discouraged and i need somebody to pick me up immature people say i'm done with this and i'm not doing it anymore with hopes that someone will beg them to stay and when they don't they make ways for them to see how good they are to encourage them again to continue. 
instead of asking what they really need, which is inspiration. So, Connie figures out that while this kid came in and she had an idea of quitting, for some reason, at this point, she's no longer ready to quit. She actually wants to re-engage with Jazz. And so, 22's like, alright, well, if she can find what she needs to find, I need to try some stuff. Because Connie found something to be inspired by, and that gives me hope. And so sometimes we need to let other people know that we haven't always got it together. We don't always feel 100% about our purpose. And we don't always feel that we have it um, all locked down. We There's sometimes we want to quit. We have to share that and be transparent because some people need to find the hope when they want to quit or when they don't feel purpose or when they don't find purpose or when they're unsure of purpose. They need to know that someone else was unsure too. In the meantime... Terry finds out that it's Joe that's missing. And then the other Jerry's tell him, well, they just sent him down to Earth with 22. They don't know what to do. And so Terry's like, well, I find him. And they stress him the importance of not breaking the rules and allowing someone else to see him. So Terry is committed to making sure that he's going to find out or he's going to make sure he finds Joe. And he's so committed to being right that he'll do it how he has to do it, right? So, 22 is getting cleaned up. She's getting dressed up. And Joe doesn't realize that a cat probably shouldn't give a shape up. I mean, it's common sense to me. Common sense to me, but apparently it's not common sense to Joe. So, Joe uh, messes up the hair, his own hair, as a cat. He messes up his own hair and they have to go to the barbershop. Now, as they go to the barbershop, there's something that Joe tells um, to 22 and his body. He's like, go in there and we talk about jazz. All you gotta do is go in there and talk about jazz and we're good. And so he tries to limit her to the experience that he has had with the barber. But what ends up happening is when she gets in the chair and she realizes that she's in control, she begins to talk about her plight, her and be emotional and vulnerable about the place that she's in, not really understanding if life is even worth living. And so as she begins to talk about that, the barber does begins to share about his experience, that he once wanted to be a veterinarian and that because his daughter got sick and when he got out of the you know, got out of the war and all of these things happened. It just didn't happen that way. The plan didn't work out that way. He ended up having to go to Bible school because it was cheaper than going to med school. And so the automatic assumption is because you didn't do what you wanted to do, that your life is miserable. And he lets her know very quickly, or Joe know very quickly, that it's okay to that the plan didn't work out the way I intended it to. Because every day I show up doing this, I'm doing something impactful. And everybody isn't going to have the great experiences or get to live their wildest dreams. But if they find purpose in living, then they have done what they need to be, uh, done what they need to do. And they have been who they were called to be. So he finds that maybe he wasn't called to be a veterinarian, but he changes just as many lives being a barber. And uh, 22 says, why haven't we ever talked about this before? And he said, you never asked. 
So all the time, the only thing that was on Joe's brain was jazz, jazz, and more jazz. And that limited his conversation from engaging with the world around him. To be honest, Joe has lived his life in more than just playing in the zone. He has lived his life in the zone. He has been disconnected from the people around him and what their experiences are. And because if he had been you know, engaged, he could have probably gotten some, uh, some enlightenment and some help, right? So the plans don't always go the way you want them to, but you will be surprised what you accomplish when you submit to purpose. So now Terry is ready to bust Joe and he's not paying attention and he grabs and frightens another person instead. Paul, who is inside, who is a hater, and we kind of wanted him to be traumatized a little bit. Um, but he is traumatized because uh, he's pulled into a void and he, that he doesn't belong in. And so he's so eager, Terry is so eager to right the wrong that he's not willing to do it in the right way. He's not willing to make sure that he's caught the right person. And um, he gets it wrong, so eager to do right. And many of us, if we have become obsessed with just, justice in the way that vengeance is, you know, is shown, then we'll end up being so willing to do it right that we'll get it wrong or fix it and make it right that we'll do it wrong. So because Terry is focused on justice, he misses the fact that he's caught another person and he ends up having to slide out, <laughs> slide uh, Paul back into his body and slide him back up to earth and pretend like it never happened. But it's hard for someone to unexperience that. And anyway, 22 has no fear. So she's just having fun experiencing life. And while she's doing that, her pants rip. And that means they have to get them fixed before 6.30. And the only place he knows that can do that is his mom's shop. So he has to go to his mom's shop. But his mom is not supposed to know about the gig. So he goes in and he's trying to make up a story about why he needs the pants fixed. And on the way to the shop... Uh, 22 hears a man sing in the subway. And as this man is singing, she's captured by him. Now, this person is the same person who wasn't captured by music when she was in the U seminar. But when she's in Earth, she's captured by this man's song. And she loves music, but Joe tells her that she only loves music because he's in his body. She's in his body. The problem with most mentors is that they credit every experience of the mentee to their existence. Had you not been walking in my shoes, had you not done it the way that I told you to, then you wouldn't experience that. And while that may be true, you have to uh, give the mentee the credit for exploration. Give the mentee credit for them opening up to experience and not just your direction. They, they obeyed, so they they did they did have a part in it. It wasn't just you. And if they had another mentor, then they probably still would have found the spark. They would have just found it in a different way. So don't be so haughty and think it's all about you because it can't be all about you. Is another person engaged here, and that's the mentee. So the mother fusses when we get to the shop because, one, she knows that this is another gig and it's just like all the other gigs and while you know 
he he really just wants her to help him out and just fix the pants. She's decided she's not doing that because she doesn't want him to have to do what his father did, struggle as a musician. They paid for him to go to school so that he could get a steady job and make something of himself. She's not trying to take care of another person. When she's gone, what is he gonna do? And she's going all of the, all going in. And Joe says something as a cat that is repeated out of Joe's mouth as 22. And because 22 doesn't know anything to do but repeat what Joe says, she's like, you never understood me. You never supported me. And she's trying to make the conversation, it opens the door for them to have the conversation they they've been needing to have. That this uh, jazz thing is not just something that um, is a part-time gig for Joe. It's his life dream. It's the one thing he feels he is purposed to do. It is the one thing he feels his life will complete, be complete when he does it. And he says one line that makes her change. He says, I don't want to live this life. I don't want to live and die knowing that I never lived my life. That I never became anything. That I never lived a life worth living. And when he says that, he, his mother realizes that it's just as important. This gig, this music is just as important as it was to his dad. So she gives him his dad's suit, tailors it into a way that fits him, and they are excited because he is now ready to get to the club, right? So he gets to the club, and while Joe is thinking and excited about the gig, 22 is looking at simple things like leaves and and she's finding sparks of inspiration. What we find out is that she has picked up mementos from every place that they went to. She's picked up a lollipop from the, the barbershop. She's picked up the spool of thread that it took to, to tailor uh, the suit. She's picked up these pin, you know, these little uh, flywheels, I guess, pinwheels, whatever you call them, the little leaves that fall. Um, and she's like, maybe, maybe, you know, my purpose is this and maybe our purpose is that and and to joe he's like that's not purpose it's just regular but who says that living life isn't your purpose who says that living your life doesn't lead you to the thing that you were always supposed to be who says that living in the simple things won't direct you to the major things and who says that living the simple things isn't enough to make a life worthwhile well, because 22 feels inspired and that she is closer than she's ever been to find her purpose, when Moonwind shows up ready to take them back, she bolts in the other direction, claiming she is in the chair and she's taking control. And, in, and she runs through the subway, the cat, or Joe as a cat, chasing her, and they both are not watching where they go and they both get trapped in the void by Terry because Terry has caught them, finally. And when he catches them, Joe and 22 are fussing with each other because they, they are now back in the great before. And they were this close. And so Joe was fussing because he was this close to his gig. And, and, and 22 was close because she was about to find her spark. And they're going back and forth. And Terry stops both of them and says, hey, Joe, you cheated. And he reminds him that while you are claiming to have deserved this, you got it under false pretenses. You got it in the way that you weren't supposed to get it. And so, 
what they don't realize is that 22 has filled her little pass and she's been authorized and she's gotten her spark. And they're like, well, what happened? You know, what, what, what happened? He's like, it, it's because of me you got your spark. Again, the mentor is being selfish. It's because of me. You wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for me. And it makes her feel like she has nothing worth living or nothing worth creating purpose because she had gotten so far and so close and it still wasn't because of her because Joe has convinced her that it was because of him. So she throws the past at him to do what he wants and she goes off feeling let down. Now, because the counselor is intrigued, he says, how could you get her to fill a pass and to get a spark? And Joe says, well, you know, she walked in my shoes, again, taking credit for her experience. And Joe says, well, well, we never found out what a purpose was. And the counselor lets Joe know the spark is not the purpose. Just because there are things that interest you, it does not mean that's what's supposed to be your purpose. Just because there are things that you find joy doing, it doesn't mean that that was the reason why you were sent to earth. And you won't find it in the spark because that's not the way to find the purpose. That's only the way to be inspired. That's the way to live, is to be inspired. So, as Joe is heading to Earth, 22 is heading into the zone. And they both are retreating into their own way, their own selfish way. Um, as 22 is heading into the zone, she is repeating over and over again that she's no good and she has no purpose. Because Joe, unfortunately, has made her feel that way. That because without him, she wouldn't be have a purpose. She had no purpose. She didn't get the spark because of anything on her own merit. She got the spark because of him. And so, all of these things he's saying, and and she's like repeating to herself that she has no purpose. Becoming obsessed in the zone, we know where that leads you as a lost soul. Well, Joe comes back to his body, runs to his gig, and tells Dorothea that she must have him play or she'll regret it. And he stands up to her and he does what he would never do, fight for the gig. He gets the gig and because he says nothing is going to stop him. And she's like, well, aren't you an arrogant musician? All right, well, tell him he's done, right? Tell, tell the other guy he's done. So she agrees and he says, Joe Gardner, your life's about to start. Now, he does that, plays a amazing show gets a standing ovation his mom everybody's proud of him and he still isn't fulfilled and so he, he talks to Dorothea and he's like well what's next and she's like well we got back tomorrow and do it again and he's like I just don't what's, what's, what's wrong I don't you know this is all I've ever wanted and it's still not fulfilling me and she said a story to him about a fish who went up to another fish and says, hey, I'm looking for the ocean. And the fish says, you're in the ocean. And she says, no, the ocean? No, this is water. I'm, 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 I'm looking for the ocean. And then she walks off. To me, that story talks about how you can be in the midst of all of the things you need to make a great life. 
and not notice that's what you have. In order to make the great, like what he, what he was looking for, make a big break, have a big break, he needed all of the things that he was enduring in his current life. Those things were the pieces that made up the opportunity, yet he was ignoring it and disregarding it, which is why that one moment wasn't enough because none of the other moments were enough. And sometimes you will get exactly what you want. Sometimes you will get the opportunity that you have been praying for. And once you complete it, you still will feel empty because you have found treasure and, you know, playing with Dorothea, Dorothea was great, but it wasn't any more impactful than, it, than teaching the kids in the band class. And it wasn't any greater than uh, him teaching Curly's class. And it wasn't anything greater than, than showing up for all of those auditions, even though he got it done. Because all of those experiences made his life. And so the music can't be the goal. He realizes the music can't be the goal. It is a job. And if you're waiting for the job to arrive, for you to arrive, then you'll possibly miss becoming because you're waiting for a moment to do it instead of just being. Because it's in life that we find the pieces that we need for the big break that we desire. Yeah. And so even if we never get, even if he never gotten the big break, he had made so much impact, but he just hadn't seen it that way. So when he goes home, he begins to play a soundtrack on a piano and he replays the places of his life as well as the places of the life 22 lived and sees that she was excited about the little things. She was excited about living. She was excited about just being alive and living. And when he started to go back over his own life, he started to realize that all of the little things that he thought didn't matter, it they mattered because of how those things he made him feel, like how he felt when he was in those things. Yeah, he was eating pie in the restaurant, but he was loving the pie and it tasted amazing. And so that's a great experience and it matters. It matters. The little things matter. Life matters. Living your life matters. And if you aren't living your life to the best ability, then whose fault is that? It's not yours. You know, you have to, I mean, it's not, you know, anybody else's but yours. You have to engage with every moment of that life and live it to the fullest because it's yours. So, um, I want I like to think and, and pause a question. How many souls are lost because the mentors used them to get what they wanted and then left them alone to figure it out for themselves? Because when we find... Uh, next is that Joe goes back into the zone to find 22 to remind her that she is willing or she is ready to live and so he gets back to the zone and finds Moonwind but Moonwind tells him that 22 is no longer the same 22 is now a lost soul because she has lived and she is now disconnected from the life that she lived and so when they spot her they try to lasso her, um, but she's, you know, she takes down the whole ship and there goes Moonwind and she's throwing souls at and she's fighting against it. And all Joe is trying to help her see is that she's ready to live. She can do it. 
Well, when the soul eats or the lost soul eats Joe, he comes inside to the prison and the tornado of insecurity for 22. 22 not only hears all of the mentors who had given up before her, uh, given up on her before him, but she also hears him. And here's the funny part. The things that she heard him say, he said in her mind a lot harsher than he actually said them. But because she had meshed the experiences together, they came off a lot more harsh and she was caught crying in a whirlwind of insecurity, not believing that she could ever become. And it wasn't until Joe stuck that little leaf in her hand that she came back to the place where she connected with love. And that place is when she was in Joe's body and when Joe was the king. And Joe asked her, are you ready to live? He hands her the memento that will help her remember that she once was inspired to live. And he says, are you ready to live? When the last box was filled, she was like, no, I'm not ready to live. I, you know, I don't need the spark. And he's like, you did find the spark. It, you found it. Because it's not about your purpose. The spark isn't about your purpose. It's about the fact that you're ready now to live. Because once you live, you find it, right? Once you live, it unravels. But until you live, until you uh, are authorized to live, until your soul yeah, comes into agreement with living, then, then you will find purpose. If it's like automatic, once you really give yourself and your soul permission to find the spark and engage with the spark and inspiration of some sort, and you're ready to figure out life and to figure out what life has to offer, then you happen to stumble upon what you've always been created to do. But it's but it's not until you're ready to live, until you're ready to live, until you're inspired to live. So Joe hands her uh, the memento and her insecurity after believing, you know, in what he's telling her. Her insecurity fades. She's back to herself. He gives her back her past, right? Because it, it is the mentor that has to encourage the mentee to live. It is the mentor that has to build the mentee back up to live. So to tell her that she is not what all the mentors before him told her, that she is ready and that she has found the spark and that it is time for her to live. So she goes and jumps off the earth with him by her side until she ends up landing in earth and he ends up landing right back on that conveyor belt headed toward the great beyond. The only difference, though, is that because of this point, at this point, because he's experienced life with Dorothea, playing with Dorothea, because he's experienced all of the things and he knows that he wasn't waiting for a moment to be effective, he's at peace with the fact that his life actually meant something and he can now go to the great beyond. Well, here's the funny part. When you're inspiring others, you don't necessarily know you're inspiring others. And so the counselor shows up, a, a counselor, uh, one of the Jerry's shows up and tells him that they have all been inspired by how he helped inspire another mentee. The, the, un, uh, the unreachable mentee has now 
gotten her past to earth and that was more than inspiring and while you're called to inspire others you don't always feel inspired by the work that you do and so since he was an inspiration they wanted to grant him the opportunity to live again and so she asked him to end this she asked him well what are you planning on doing now what will you do what will you do with the life you lead and he says i'm not really sure but i will live every last moment of it my encouragement to you today is not that you find and nail every part of your purpose because sometimes you won't find out all of the pieces because if you knew everything you were gonna be you probably wouldn't or you'd probably be too afraid afraid to engage with it so sometimes you have to find it piece by piece by piece, inspiration by inspiration, spark by spark. But if you live every moment of your life, you will find out that you have got soul and you will find out that your life has always mattered and it is worth living. child lord have mercy it's been a trip down the lane of the great before the great beyond and all up in joe gardner's life i'm super excited to have taken this journey with you and i thank you so much for joining me now as always, you know, I've got some action items for you to do. i got some things that I need you to do. If you have not followed us on Facebook and Instagram, please find us at Kid Like Faith, F-8-T-H. Um, and I'm willing and so willing to share all of the things that I have up my sleeve but not just yet. So I've got some things working. Um, Just know that I'm super excited to be able to share with you all of the things that are happening. And it's going to be amazing. Just know that this is going to be amazing. So I hope you are ready um, for our next journey. Um, Our next journey is going to happen next week. And if you're not excited just know that we're going to France. That's right. I said it. We're going on a Pixar journey to France. Um, We're going to eat some good food and we're going to explore the theory that anyone can cook. And until then, make sure that you keep your faith kid-like. Bye!